You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. The book of Proverbs tells us that there is a clear path to live a life filled with wisdom and a clear path to live a life filled with evil and foolishness. This message is from part one of our series, Practical Wisdom, where we are learning that the path we choose decides the legacy we leave. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Well, Proverbs 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 10, I'm going to read this one more time. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, sometimes in church, I don't know if you've grown up in church, I, I, I've grown up in church. Um, and sometimes in church, we have this thing that we do when we talk about strong scripture, right? Sometimes we, uh, we try to keep it a little PC, we try and clean it up a little bit. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord or fearing God or fearing the Lord, sometimes we, we might be a little bit embarrassed of how bold God is when he talks about himself. Am I right? Sometimes we're a little uh, nervous to talk about it, so we try and be a little PC and we say things like, well, when we talk about fearing God, what you have to understand in scripture is to fear God means to have a, a healthy respect. Or, or, or when scripture says that we're to fear God, it means that we're supposed to really, what that really means is to have a proper reverence and to, and to honor him. But here's my question for us today. If the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord, what does it really mean to fear the Lord? It would be pretty important to understand what that really, truly meant. Not watered down, uh, not, you know, not made PC, but what it actually truly means. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, maybe the summer between my fifth grade and sixth grade year, I, I had an opportunity to go with my grandfather to Daytona Beach, right? Party at the beach with grandpa. And um, my grandfather's actually here today. I don't know where he is, but he's here. Yeah. Give a shout out for him. Yeah, there he is. And uh, my grandparents own a bus company. And so I, I rode down with him. We went down to Daytona Beach. We rode with a peewee football team, right? Uh, they were playing for the national championship. I was not on the team. I was just the kid that was riding on the bus with a bunch of people. And uh, anyway, long story short, we're down there. They played their games, and we're at the beach. And I'm out hanging out with the cheerleaders. Why would you hang out with dudes? You're hanging out with the cheerleaders. And anyway, and uh, we're out swimming in the ocean. Everything's good. We're about 50, maybe 75 yards out when all of a sudden, true story, I look down, and all the water's gone. Strange. That would be strange, right? If you're swimming and then all of a sudden all the water's gone and there's just mud. And this is kind of weird. And, and I turn around and I see a gigantic wave. Now, I was in sixth grade. I was only two foot five at that point in time in all measurements. Okay, two foot five, okay? Um, and so I'm rolling around in the sand, like kind of freaking out. And this gigantic wave, but, but the wave looked really strange. It was just almost pure mud. What I didn't know that was taking place was that I was caught in the middle of what was soon to be an undertow where all the water rushes out really quickly and it grabs all the mud and then the wave comes back in and then grabs and pulls people out. I had no idea what was coming. I just stood there and watched this gigantic wave of mud holding a cheerleader's hand. I was like, if I'm going to go out, this is how I'm going to go out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so this, this gigantic wave of mud comes and all of a sudden in that moment, it got real. It got really real. In fact, I couldn't get up to the surface. I, I couldn't 
breathe. I was kind of, I was kind of freaking out. In fact, I don't know how long I was under. It was probably 20 seconds, but it felt like an eternity, you know. And so I'm struggling to get to the surface. I don't know which way is up, which way is down. And I finally pop up to the surface and, and swim to the shore, run to the shore, roll to the shore, whichever one you prefer to use there. But in that moment, I felt a complete loss of control. You know what I mean? And, and really, through my small mind at that point in time, this thought went through it. I'm going to die. This is how I'm going to die. I, I can't get to the surface. I'm, I'm going to die. And in fact, um, I didn't die that day. News, news uh, for you today. Um, somebody almost did, though. True story. The local news came and actually interviewed my grandfather because my grandfather, at the age of, I don't know how old he was, 70-something years of age, dove into the water and swam out about 200 yards and saved a sixth grader's life who was being swept out to sea. True story. Brought him in, and they resuscitated him and interviewed my grandpa on the local news. Pretty crazy. Yeah, you can clap for that. Has nothing to do with my illustration, but you can still clap for it. Um, the fact of the matter, though, I thought I was going to die. And here's my question. Have you ever had a moment like that? I hope you haven't. <laughs> That's not the point. But have you ever had a moment where you were like, I'm going to die. This is it. Now, I'm not talking about like when your friend's driving real fast in a car and you're like, oh, I'm going to die. Or, or when you're on a roller coaster and you're like, this is scary. I mean, legitimately, when you felt like you were out of control, like you couldn't control the situation, you thought you were going to die. Well, when we read this phrase in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, this is the same intense emotion that Scripture is, go is trying to invoke in us. Kind of strange to think about, but the fact of the matter is the word here for fear of the Lord is this Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is yara. Say that with me. Say yara. And yara actually means, when we say the fear of the Lord, it's, 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 it's the yara of the Lord. And it actually, means, uh, it actually means dread, terror, and paralyzation. In other words, I'm going to die. And so the fear of the Lord is not just a healthy respect. It's not just a reverence or an honor. It's literally to think about God this way. I'm going to die. I am in terror. I am paralyzed. And fearing God is biblically the beginning of wisdom. The truth is, when we water down the fear of God by saying that it simply means that we have a healthy respect for him, then we're really kind of changing the entire meaning of the text, aren't we? And if we're changing the meaning of the text, then we're not going to understand what it means to actually gain wisdom. Because if we're not properly fearing God, then we're not going to properly get wisdom. Because fearing the Lord goes beyond having a healthy respect. It is a paralyzing, fear-inducing, terrifying, I am in way over my head, I am going to die type of fear. And according to this type of fear, according to this type of understanding, this is how we gain wisdom. Now, I want to show you two characters in Scripture who have an encounter with God, who have this exact reaction. Because some of you aren't sold on this. You've grown up uh, being told it was something else, and so I'm just going to basically show you why you're wrong. But anyway, um, Isaiah, look at this. Isaiah has an encounter with God. Isaiah chapter 6 says this. This is Isaiah speaking now of God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now, notice the words here. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, those are angels, and one angel called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now listen to this. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice. 
of him who called. When's the last time you've been in a room where someone spoke so loudly with such strong bravado that the whole house shook? Now think about a temple and think about God's temple and think about God just speaking and the entire place just shakes. It goes on to say, uh, the house was filled with smoke and I said, woe is me for I am lost. In other words, Isaiah is saying, I'm going to die. Woe is me. This house is shaking. This temple is shaking. God is huge. There's the train of his robe. There's smoke. There's flying angels. This is terrifying. I am undone. I am going to die. And he says, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people, of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the angels flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah had an encounter with God where he was left terrified, paralyzed. I'm going to die. There's another character in Scripture, John. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, we read about this encounter between him and God. It says this in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Notice this. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. There it is again. The voice. This booming, powerful, gigantic voice like the, like the rushing water. I love that. When I saw him, <laughs> this is kind of funny, in hindsight, not in the moment. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Pretty strong language. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, for us as a church, this is a great point for us to respond with a woo, because that's an incredible verse for us. This is our God speaking. This is what he, this is what he says. He says, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. This is our God. And this is what God says to John. He says, fear not. These people encountered God, and they were paralyzed and terrified, and they thought they were going to die. And yet today, now follow me with this. And yet today, we, we talk about God with an incredible amount of arrogance. Don't, am I right? Don't we? we? We talk about God like we're going to question him when we meet him because we're upset with how our lives turned out. Like, like, like we're going to stand before God and be like, all right, God, listen. Like that's how we're going to start a conversation after we die with God. All right, God, before we get into this eternity business, I've got some questions for you. I really wanted that car when I was 16. You, where were you? know, like that's the question? That's how we're going to talk to God? Who do we think we are? What is our view of God? It's obviously not the same view that Scripture has of God, the same view that Scripture paints of God. It's definitely not the view that Isaiah had of God when he encountered him. And it's for sure not the encounter or the picture that John had when he fell over like a dead man from even seeing him. We have this arrogance. Here's the reality. Are you ready for it? Here's reality. Maybe the first thing I would write down today in 2015 
as we are training to run for the vision. Maybe it should just start off like this. The moment you see God, we will all be filled with Yara. The moment that we first see God face to face, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Each and every one of us will be filled with fear. See, we would prefer that, uh, we prefer to talk about God or to, to worship a God that's a bit more manageable, wouldn't we? A God that kind of fits into our lifestyle, wouldn't we? I mean, we, we want that. That makes sense. We, we want a God that's a little bit more manageable. Uh, we, want, we want someone that kind of fits into our lifestyles, that, a God that serves our needs. But here's the truth. Listen to me, church. When God speaks about himself, he speaks in utter supremacy. Come on. He speaks in utter supremacy and he speaks in utter boldness about himself. So, so there is no watering down what God says about himself. God says, you can't contain me. You can't put me in a box. I'm big. In fact, I'm the definition of big. I'm bigger than the definition of big. I am enormous. I am God. There's nothing like me. Amen? This is how God speaks. So you're like, well, I don't like to speak that way about God. Well, then you're really not talking about God. You're talking about a God that you have developed to put in place of the God who created everything. And if so we're not, if we're not worshiping the God in his full godness, then we're not truly worshiping God. Because throughout scripture, God makes claims about himself that you just have to take. You just got to take it. You know what I'm saying? You just, you just, it's like getting dunked on by LeBron. It's just, what are you going to, you're under the, you're going to get it in your face. Just take it. Just smile and take it. And God makes these claims about himself that only he and he alone can make. Listen to some of these. Throughout scripture, God says that he and he alone is the creator of the universe. Amen? God says that he and he alone stands in unapproachable light. That he and he alone speaks and life comes forth. That he and he alone opens his mouth and galaxies and stars shoot forth. God says that he and he alone is perfect, that he and he alone is eternal. Come on. That he and he alone is outside of time, that he's providential, that, that he's supreme, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful. That Here's the truth. There is nothing else in existence like our God. There is nothing at all. And, and if we want wisdom, listen, if we want wisdom, we must begin with this knowledge. The knowledge that there has never been, nor will there ever be anything like our God. He's awesome. Amen? He's awesome. And so we must begin with this knowledge. Now, Proverbs 1, 7 says this. Now I'm going to get to my message. All right. Proverbs 1, 7 <laughs> says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Now notice, right there. It doesn't say wisdom first, does it? It first says knowledge. The beginning of the fear of the Lord, the yara of the Lord, is the beginning of all knowledge. Now here's why, because you thought it was wisdom. And later on it does talk about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of all wisdom. But first it says knowledge. Here's why. Knowledge always precedes wisdom. Knowledge always. Like we think about wisdom as like a, a package that God like sends down to us. Like floats down. God, I want wisdom. All right, well, let me tie it up and I'll just float it down. Ah, I'm not, it's wisdom, right? Like, that's, that's not how it works. It just doesn't give you wisdom because first comes knowledge. Knowledge always precedes wisdom. And knowledge applied always produces wisdom. 
Now don't miss that. Knowledge always precedes wisdom, and knowledge applied always produces wisdom. Because having a knowledge about something and yet not applying that knowledge is not wisdom, that's foolishness. Case in point, if I know that my car needs oil to run, yet I do not put oil in my car, I cannot be upset when my car breaks down. Right? I didn't have the wisdom to put it in. Well, that's on me. I had the knowledge. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I better put oil and gas in my car because if I don't, it's going to break down. And yet if I don't do that, that's not wisdom. So knowledge, having knowledge, doesn't really mean too much unless you apply it. It's actually the opposite of wisdom. It's foolishness. So when Scripture tells us in Proverbs 9.10, here's where we are, Proverbs 9.10, that the beginning, I'm sorry, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's speaking under the assumption that we have already taken the knowledge that we have of God, that he's shown us through Scripture, about his supremacy, that we've already taken that knowledge and now applied that knowledge, and we're using it with, as wisdom to view everything. So now the knowledge of God is the, I'm sorry, the fear of God gives us the knowledge. And then we apply that knowledge and gives us wisdom. And the wisdom is this, that we view, we use that as the lens with which we view everything. Our choices, our, our families, our job, our relationships, all seen through God's supremacy. Are you getting this? You'll get there. Every choice we make, all seen through God's supremacy, the relationship that we have, the, the person that we marry, all seen through the lens with which we view it is, is God and his supremacy gives us wisdom because we see it as, we use it as, as uh, the lens to make decisions. You ever been to the eye doctor before? Um, I hate it. I, I, do, I, I don't like it. Can I just, can I be the first one to say that? Um, I'm always scared they're going to stick things in my eyes. And uh, I don't like that. Do you like that? You're weird. I don't like that. And, um, and then they always pull you into the dark room. You know what I mean? Like, well, let's go back to the dark room. And you're like, what? what's back there? Are we going to look at pictures? What are we doing, you know? And they sit you down in this chair, and, and they lean you back. And then they do, maybe the worst part of it is they, they, they get in front of you like two inches from your face and breathe in your face. You know what I mean? They're like, hello. And you're like, oh, tacos. Like, seriously. <laughs> breath mint like before this you know and then out of nowhere like the ceiling opens up and down you know comes this looks to me like a torture um device from a horror movie it's called a refractor and, and it goes over your face you know you're like what are you, are you gonna are you gonna like blow up cities with that what are you gonna do no it's gonna go on your face oh okay fantastic this is gonna be great and they lower this thing, this humongous thing, down onto your face, and you feel really awkward, and they put your head, they actually strap your head into it. And then they begin to say what? They bring out these charts, they're called the Snellen charts, right? And then they begin to say this thing. There's, there's apparently letters on this chart, and they begin to say, better or worse? Better or worse, right? You're like, better or worse? And, and you just keep seeing these pictures and these, 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 these letters Right? And you're like, better? Is that better? And you're like, no, that's not better. I, I actually can't see anything. Is that an F? Is, is that a P? And they're like, better or worse? And they switch to the next slide. Sometimes. You're like, yeah, be okay, that's a little bit better. And, and they're like, all right, well, let, let me try that. Better or worse? And you're like, that's perfect. And they're like, all right, well, one more thing. Better or worse? And then it goes all blurry again. You're like, no! And you're like, I don't want to be in here. This is horrible, right? What are they doing? They're torturing you. That's what they're doing. No, what are they doing? They're, um, they're doing something very specific. They're trying to gauge what type of lens you're going to need in order to get you to see with the correct perspective. That's what they're doing. 
And what I'm telling you is that fearing the Lord leads us to true life because it puts everything into proper perspective. First, when we fear the Lord, it puts everything into proper perspective. Now, here's a few noteworthy implications you might want to write down when we fear the Lord first. First, when we fear the Lord, when we first fear the Lord, we don't need to fear man. When we first fear the Lord, we don't need to fear man. Why? Because we understand that God is bigger than man. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, it says this, Don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When we first fear God, we don't need to fear man. Number two, when we first fear the Lord, we don't need to fear death. Why? Because we understand that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has conquered death and the grave. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, this fantastic phrase that we should be able to shout. It literally says this, death, where is your victory? Death. Where is your sting? Because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, we do not need to fear death and the grave. And we as a church should be able to shout that. Yeah, and some of us even clap because we're excited about it. Some of us even do. All right, next, number three. When we first fear the Lord, we don't need to fear life. Why? Because we understand that God's in control. Proverbs 14 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Now, I understand that today some of us literally have incredible anxieties about life. And oftentimes that's something that, that we, can, we can get help with. But, but, but before you seek out health, for, health advice for those anxieties, I, I would ask this. How is your lens with fearing the Lord? Are you viewing your life through the fear of the Lord? Because if we fear the Lord, we can understand that God is completely in control of our lives. There is no reason to be anxious. There there is no reason to be dismayed, to pull out another Bible term. We don't need to because God is in control. Number four, when we first fear the Lord, we don't need to fear the Lord. Wait, 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 hold on. I don't know if I, yeah, I read that right. Okay, hold on. I guess we'll just say it again because that's what my notes say. When we fear the Lord, we don't need to fear the Lord. That sounds a little confusing, doesn't it? Yeah? All right, well, let's see if we can figure it out. Isaiah chapter 44, in, in possibly almost very confusing and almost contradictory terms, God says this, verse 6, I'm the first and I'm the last. You've got to love God's boss statements. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when just God walks in, he's like, all right, guys, I'm the first, I'm the last. He's like, okay, okay, you know what I mean? He just throws down. He just walks into a room and just states who he is. Take it. I'm the, I'm the first. I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Let him declare it and set it before me. Since I appoint an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? So God begins speaking about himself with a boldness here, doesn't he? And he begins making claims like, I'm the first, I'm the last. There's no God like me. There's no, no one like me at all. Who's like me? And he goes on to say, like, well, if, if you think you're like me, well, then speak up. If you think you're as good as me, if you think you're as great as me, if you think you're as strong as me, well, then stand up. Declare it. He goes on to say, I appointed an ancient people. And if you think that you can match up with me, well, why don't you declare what is to come? <laughs> why don't you, in other words, 
why don't you tell me the future? In other words, why don't you tell me what's going to happen? Because I know the future. I, I know the first day. I knew the first day that you were going to take your breath. I also know the last day you're going to take your breath. And I've seen every single moment in between. But listen, if you want to challenge me, well, then stand up. Tell me the future. Oh, but not just your future. Tell me everything's future and everyone's future and everything in between. See, these are the words of an all-powerful, completely supreme being. And notice that God doesn't say, hey, guys, hey, I'm God. Hey, come here. Can you teach me some stuff? Hey, I'm God. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the friendly God. Like, yeah. Why don't you come here? I want to learn from you. I want to sit at your feet and learn from you. No, 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 no. No, he quite clearly and emphatically declares you need to first understand that there is one God and that's me. I have nothing to learn from you because I am God. I have all knowledge. I'm like, well, that's not fair. Okay, the other statement is I created all knowledge. So it's not just, does God know everything? God doesn't just know everything. God created everything there is to know and not know. So, so you're, you're talking on a level that doesn't even make sense <laughs> at all. And God understands it because he made you to have that line of reasoning. He quite clearly, emphatically says that. He says, there's no other God. You want to challenge me? Fine, stand up. I love this. Fine, stand up. And if you can just live a moment without me allowing it, then we can have a conversation. Because the very fibers of our being are held together because God allows them to be. God removes his hand and it just literally falls apart. See, these are the words of an all-powerful being. But then notice this crazy part in verse 8. Here's where it gets weird. Notice, after God says, He's so massive and supreme and all this kind of stuff. Here's the crazy part, because in the next verse, verse 8, God says, but fear not. He just went through why he's terrifying and huge and God and massive and supreme and omnipotent. And then he says, but fear not. You'd expect him to say, here's all this stuff that I am, now fear me. But he flips the script and says, so fear not and don't be afraid. Now, why would God say that. It's actually pretty common in Scripture. Remember when Isaiah encounters God? Isaiah says, you're going to kill me. I'm undone. I'm dead. And God says, no, Isaiah, actually, I'm going to forgive you. Uh, I'm going to give you atonement for your sin. When John falls over like a dead man, <laughs> he's, he's thinking he's going to die, right? He's terrified. Jesus says, no, don't be afraid, John. It's me, Jesus. It's me. See what he's doing here? He's doing the same exact thing. He's saying, look, I am this incredible, amazing thing that you should fear. But once you get to that point of understanding, you don't have to fear me. You should fear me. But once you get to that point of fearing me, you don't need to fear me. You're like, that still doesn't make sense. In John 1, Scripture describes us who follow after Jesus as being God's children. God calls us his children. Maybe look at it from the perspective of the security of a child. Now I have five kids, all of which I'm pretty confident that I'm stronger than. Okay, all of which. 
and uh, they love to wrestle with me. Uh, they always want to play. They always want to roughhouse. Literally, that we spend part of the evening with me chucking them across the room onto the bed. That's what they love to do. They want to wrestle, and, and you know, Noah jumps on my head, and, and Judah's biting my ankles, and Stella's punching me in the, in, the, in the kidneys, and the babies are just, they're like little ninjas. They're just like flipping all around me and punching everything, and, and this is what we do. They all attack me once, and they know that I'm stronger than, the, than them, but there's a security for them. There's a security there for them in knowing that they are my children and that I am their father. They understand that although I am stronger than them, they properly have this, this gauge of me and my strength first. So because there's wisdom for them to know that because dad is strong, my, my dad's stronger than I am. But because he's my dad, I don't have to be scared of that strength. This is why on one hand I can pick up all my children at once and throw them across the room like a pile of laundry, right? All in one motion. There's that strength there. But another time, they feel safe to run to my arms when they're scared. In the middle of the night, when they cry out, they cry out for me. When we're out in public and they get scared, they run to me in my arms. Even when I discipline them, they know that there's safety because they understand that I am stronger and here it is listen don't miss this I am stronger but that my strength is there to keep them safe because they're my children now that's just John 1 scripture also calls us God's friends and maybe even in the most intimate of language Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we are the bride of Christ how intimate is that we are God's bride I don't know about you but if someone was attacking my wife, I would jump in. I would lay my life down for her. I don't know that she would need me to. She's from Kentucky. <laughs> they learn at a young age how to shoot a shotgun and throw an empty bottle of Jack Daniels. That's about all you need when you're from Kentucky. That's their defense. Kentucky karate. Hashtag that. Anyway, I'm in trouble. Um, well, there's a security there the bride of Christ. He's stronger, but that strength is there to keep us safe. There's security, and this is where wisdom begins. But you'll never understand that until you're willing to reach the point of fear. I think it would be a lot easier if we could just spend some time face-to-face -face with God. Because I think if we could sit, into a, sit in a room with God, we'd walk away saying, like, yeah, I get, okay, I get it. I get it. I, I, okay, I get it. I'm not going to make the same decisions I used to make because now I've seen you. I get it. I'm not going to like just flippantly disobey because now I've seen God. I, I, I fear him. I'm terrified of him. I'm going to make sure that I, I choose wisdom and use the fear of God as the filter for every decision that I make. And this is why Proverbs 19 says this. Fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. It leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. See, for too many years, you thought that the fear of the Lord was a bad thing. But the truth is, the fear of the Lord is the very thing that will lead you to life. The very thing that will lead you to knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the only thing that could actually produce wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, you're not going to understand why you need to follow Jesus Christ. You're not going to understand what it means to have a proper understanding of Christianity and discipleship. We wouldn't understand the power that's available to us because of Jesus Christ, because of God the Father. It all begins with the fear of the Lord. 
And God wants you to fear him because that's going to lead you to a life that you've never had. You've never had a better life, a more secure life. The life that God intended for you when, in, when he, in all his supremacy, reached down, don't miss this picture, reached down out of heaven and reached into your mother's womb, as scripture so elegantly teaches us, and handcrafted you intimately, knitting you together, instilling desires and visions and dreams and passion and purpose, all of which can be realized when we begin with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, truly, it is the only way to wisdom. Thank you for listening to this message from part one of our series, Practical Wisdom at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.